Hello, I'm Billy Lennon, and you're listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. Today, I'm talking with Caroline McManus about her piece, Maximally Likeable, The Stay-at-Home Girlfriend and the White-Collar Woman. We discuss TikTok trends, 21st century ressentiment, Barbara Ehrenreich, and the market forces of romantic relationships. Caroline McManus is a writer and artist. Her work predominantly focuses on inequality and how technology impacts both labor and life. Her written and video work has been featured in Polyester Magazine, the San Francisco Daily Journal, Oakland North, KTVU, the Yale School of Art, and NH Stocks. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. I'm here with Caroline McManus, who wrote a piece for us called Maximally Likeable, The Stay-at-Home Girlfriend and the White-Collar Woman, um, which is fantastic, published on April 14th. Caroline, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so w- one of our first and only pieces to kind of go into the TikTok lifestyle <laughs> blog sphere. Mm. Um, I guess you've stumbled upon this phenomenon of the stay-at-home girlfriend who uh, uh, documents her wellness, uh, everyday routine, but did have a job and could always go back into that. I, I have a mom who, my, my mom like had a really good job before having me and even like the stigma around women staying home even she would always be like yeah like you know i could always go back to that like i actually made six figures before having you like important to know even though she stayed at home but anyways what is a stay-at-home girlfriend and what kind of content are they putting out on tiktok so i would say the content varies pretty widely but they have all quite a lot in common too you know they're predominantly white they're predominantly attractive women attractive in the you know western beauty standard way you know <laughs> symmetrical faces thin all these sort of qualities and you know the content they put out i would say has like two sides so they have stay in the uh, day in the life videos and then they have kind of like instructional videos um the day in the life videos are um similar to kind of a lot of other day in the life videos on tiktok um could be anything could be you know working a corporate job you could be a farmer could be maybe you're a baker anything like that and you just sort of i don't know why everyone talks in this like really monotone voice maybe it's to like make it so everything can fit in that helps it like speed it up I don't know but people talk in this like very kind of strange cadence so talking like that um and basically just running through their day you know I wake up at x time everyone has like green juice powder I don't know why they have that but yeah like uh, athletic greens yeah (laughs) they're all sponsored by it um you know uh, exercise um then really it varies from there beyond sort of like taking care of yourself, grooming yourself and exercising, because I think it has to do with people sort of following their interests and taking care of themselves. And that's where it's a notable departure either from like working or like being a housewife, because they're notably not, you know, cooking and cleaning 
or necessarily taking care of anyone else. Some of them say that, you know, I'm cooking for my boyfriend, I'm doing these are things, maybe I'm taking care of my dog, but it's not really centered around that. It is pretty individualistic and it is centered around um, themselves and their interests and their self-care. So that's mm-hmm. the sort of day in the life. Then on the other side are, yeah, the kind of instructional type videos. Uh, some uh, women are even sort of like selling like courses on this, which is kind of funny. Everything always trends that way. I feel online, everything just turns into yeah. like a course on how to do X. But um, yeah, it's sort of like, how can you operationalize likability? You know, how can you land a rich boyfriend? Or even if you're not landing a rich boyfriend, how can you meet rich people and get them to like you? And I mean, I had a real field day <laughs> watching all those. It's it's interesting. And I know I talked about it in my piece, but the similarities between that and, you know, traditional business networking are just absolutely too rich. Yeah. So, so like you said, there's on the one hand, the day in the life videos, on the other hand, these weird instructional videos going from where you left off. How did these videos or this archetypal person become a, fascination or interest to you and have you seen them like written about before yeah um you know I could say I I could say I wasn't seeking it out but then also they were coming up on my TikTok which is like my personalized algorithm so it's clearly my pattern of consumption yeah led me there in some way and and when I started watching the videos I did become very intrigued by them and I followed a lot of the popular accounts I was like seeking out less popular accounts um because in the way those can be almost a little bit more interesting like once that type of account has become popular like how are people either trying to mimic it or how is that aspirational or where are people um departing from it um so at first I didn't seek it out but I liked the videos. I found them entertaining and there was something interesting about them. And also I just was really blown away by how horrible the comment sections were. So I became kind Mm -hmm. of interested in reading those. Um, Yeah. And then also I would say at the same time, a lot of people would talk about them on Twitter and people would be, you know, quite nasty. I think a lot of the time towards these women and display what I would characterize as really paternalistic attitudes about the choices that the women were making and how they lived their lives. And um, that definitely rubbed me the wrong way, but also felt like there was something there to think about or explore. Yeah, like there's definitely like judgment and critique like baked into your piece at various points, but it definitely struck me as more of a social anthropology type thing versus like a condemnation of this type of person. Um, Do you know around when like this started to become a fad? Is it relatively recent? Because I remember just thinking about the genealogy of these sorts of videos. I remember like before the pandemic, there'd be I said there was like a notable one where it's like a day in the life of a Goldman Sachs employee and mm-hmm. they're like living the life and I make my Nespresso in the morning and just, yeah. it, they go to like this nice office building. And then you talk about which, which we'll get into later, the, um, the cushy corporate job uh, working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this seemed like to come after that is being a fad. So around when did these start to crop up? Uh, and when did it become an acronym, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that it's an acronym too. I, well, first of all, I think, you know, there is a little bit of like a satirical element where people play this up 
online. They they know what they're doing, obviously, and they're monetizing it too. Um, so in terms of like you you characterizing it as like an archetype or a character, it is a little bit that because it is, you know, a social media phenomenon. That being said, I think, you know, obviously stay-at-home girlfriends or people with rich boyfriends and it's never it's this is a, it's never girlfriends it's so very like it feels mm-hmm. very patriarchal or heteronormative or something um that's always been around but the videos I think during the pandemic seem to get really popular I think yeah people being at home has something to do with it um I would say I don't know it feels like in the past like couple years two-ish years um yeah but they I mean people who are not married who have rich partners that's not new but this this does this sort of way that these women are talking about um themselves and their relationship to work that does feel new okay regarding like I didn't list this question out in the emails but I'm sure you can speak to it um could you talk a little bit about maybe the ideology illuminating the people in the comment section and you talk about like puritan values and like worth being tied to work Mm -hmm. um could you maybe talk about those contrasting ideologies a little bit yeah i think you know it seems like a lot of the stay-at-home girlfriends come from a a middle class-ish background in the sense that they talk about how they went to college, they worked before, we can always go back to working. Um, in that sense, you know, it's very, they seem very self-aware that they're kind of like opting out of working right now, like, and they are def- defiant in their attitudes and insistent that, you know, we um, we don't want to work. And I think that rubs people who are working and maybe working very hard to have a good life it rubs them really the wrong way um I think you know that again isn't new but it being so visible (laughs) sort of like people quarreling and being able to read that like kind of in real time does feel very new and very strange as well because it's almost like people's neuroses are on display I mean my background you know I'm like in grad school to become a therapist I can't help but Mm -hmm. think about it a little bit in a psychological Mm -hmm. context and it did feel like people in the comment sections writing very sort of vitriolic mean comments to the stay-at-home girlfriends. A lot of them projection was doing a lot of the heavy lifting for like the meaning that they were making. And they were saying, you know, I like working. How can you not work? Or like, I can't believe she doesn't work. Like so many of the mean comments were oriented around work, which to me just sort of suggests that they have this sort of like tense relationship with the, the women were bringing something out in them that was like very, very kind of heavy. And it makes you think, you know, what is money standing in for? Is it standing in for security? Is it status? Why is this so threatening? And why are you compelled to write these vitriolic things? Yeah. It also strikes me that this is, I mean, as an extremely online generation um, obsessed with like, self-image cultivation and projecting that and having that tied to their own individual sense of self-worth like how like what is happening as they begin to think of themselves in the context of like Mm -hmm. the couple Mm -hmm. um and then potentially eventually like family dynamics Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of crazy shit is gonna keep coming out and it's interesting because like 
notably, I think, you know, with the girlfriends being not married and not having, it's like notable that these are women making their decisions about how they want to live their life. So that, you know, in a sense is apparently threatening and in some way to other people who are choosing to live their life in a very different way. Well, you contrasted it to like the contemporary trad mm. mindset. Yeah. Um, like, like you cooking for your husband, right. Having children. Right, right, um, right. And it's a little bit less clear what the stay at home girlfriends are like building towards if anything. And maybe they don't know. Mm hmm. Which is kind of what I thought where like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know that they, they present themselves as knowing or as working towards a trad lifestyle or non-trad lifestyle or anything in, or working or not working. Um, that's uh, something interesting to think about. Yeah. I, I don't think that the videos I saw at least were very. Yeah. I guess what I was getting at, sorry. Like you had a really, a quote that I put a check mark next to, like okay. the stay-at-home girlfriend landscape exists outside of the well-trodden battleground between professional working women and stay-at-home moms. There is no mainstream feminist script for this beyond the notion that the girlfriends are leaning in to not working. <laughs> um, um, could, could you talk a little bit about, um, you brought in Barbara Ehrenreich. Mm -hmm. um, like her analysis of middle-class attitudes, like how did that illuminate your research and how does that illuminate this discourse? She talks about middle-class anxiety as this kind of moving target for people's neuroses and talks about how, you know, as labor markets change as people change as technologies change you know there's always going to be some kind of enemy of a good middle class worker and how um at one point people saw it as a real sort of like moral failing to like not work as hard to go soft to sort of um engage with what she said at the time was like, like punk rock scene, <laughs> like the drugs, mm. rock and roll, all these kind of things. Um, and maybe it's not that exact same now way now, but like that attitude, I think definitely remains. And she also talks about, you know, sort of like how a, a yuppie sensibility is characterized by a frenetic busyness. Mm. So what is the foil of a frenetic busyness? Maybe it's taking care of yourself. Maybe it's slowing down and maybe it's not working. So I think there's an interesting way where like quite literally what these women are doing where their days are slowed down. They, they are, they do have all this time to exercise, get massages, take care of themselves. They're not busy at all. And they make that very clear and they, clearly cherish that it absolutely flies in the face of uh middle-class sensibility and that I think is why it sort of was the target of this ire this really intense mm -hmm. projection yeah and could you talk a little bit about I think you said this phrase oper operational operationalized likability yeah. um like that 
is a practice within an environment where constructing social status signifiers is very fluid and the playbook on that is still being written. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that as a practice? Yeah. A little bit. And I wonder how effective this stuff is too, because there's an element where they are, you know, they're selling this information too. So who knows if it's true? I can't, I don't, I don't know if it's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, they say, Hey, you want to be proximate to rich people. You want to go to X place at X time. You want to wear X type of clothes to look, you know, you don't want to look cheap, but you want to look not whatever. I don't even know. Like mm-hmm. you want to look a certain way. You want to be open to talking to people. You want to help fluff people's egos by asking them lots of questions and da 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 da, and like sort of presenting ways to make yourself likable. To okay, maybe it's the average man you'll find in this environment. Yeah, I don't know the efficacy of any of that. Like, <laughs> that is true, but also I think there's some there is something really true in it in that it's so similar to like these networking videos that I would then watch which I did see okay and those videos you know maybe they're not oriented around country clubs maybe they're talking about people going to conferences but you know approach person in x way ask them x things about themselves again so much of it is about like looking a certain way like look good but not too good but a certain level of professional good like Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's so funny but you know I don't know what the relationship is between that and authenticity or how to be in the world but it definitely does it this there are certain ways that these are really similar and um I I imagine to some extent they work to some extent helping fluffing people's egos that that that's real I don't know <laughs> yeah so in, in terms of these, uh, like this is a specific a specific case of you kind of have like analyzing psychological tendencies intersecting with class, social status. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other specific dynamics you find yourself thinking about? I'm wondering if your way of thinking about this is part of like a, a larger project of analyzing things Um, (laughs) are there any other social dynamics you are particularly fascinated in in my background as a reporter covering labor I'm always thinking about people's relationship to work and I think I'm thinking about my own relationship to work a lot of the time too (laughs) so of course um I think and I I used a quote from this in my essay uh from a bell hooks essay do you want me to read it? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Bell Hooks uh, wrote, the emphasis on work as the key to women's liberation led many white feminist activists to suggest women who worked were already liberated. Right. And, quote I, you were. and I think, you know, that was kind of fascinating to read after reading all these comments where literally women were saying in the comment sections of these stay-at-home girlfriends, like, I love my job. How can you not work? Like, this is freakish and bad for feminism that you're not working it was just 
absolutely shocking. Like they were basically saying, I am liberated. I am working. And how are you not? And what you're doing is go is so offensive to me because it is not what I am personally doing. And I think stepping back from that and the fact that that was so evident in the comment sections does make me think about bell hooks advocating for uh, what she calls a positive concept of work, which is like work attached to your talents, deeper meaning, um, ability to develop your personality, interests, and connection to greater community and the outside world. And I think what I saw from the white collar day in the life videos and the stay at home girlfriend videos is they're like both notably like kind of divorced from that and very individualistic and not connected to much outside of oneself. And I think that feels very characteristic of how people present themselves on social media. Like who knows if that's really the truth, but it also feels kind of characteristic of generational attitudes towards work. And I do wonder if, you know, expanding how we think about work and. I think one thing that was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I, I like, I liked the way she thought about the positive concept, concept of work. Like, Maybe it can be, you know, connected to greater meaning or our community. I do like that. I do aspire to that. Yeah. And then one thing that was really fascinating, the way you ended the essay, like whether it's, I mean, if we're going to use that term, like liberating, whether, you know, taking on that mindset that work is liberating. I, I mean, I guess in Hooks' case, that, that can be true, but whether you're working and that's liberating, a working woman is liberated or you're doing like the stay-at-home girlfriend opt-out thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you kind of mentioned that the stay-at-home girlfriends what they're doing kind of is work as well like should her relationship take a turn for the worst leaving her vulnerable to the dating market and a market dictates that anyone working for any company can get laid off at any time yeah it's i don't know i don't know what to make of it it was really i thought that was a brilliant way to end the essay <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think all the work a uh, stay-at-home girlfriend is doing, she's doing a ton of work with, and that she, you know, how, you know, she put in all the work to, quote, make herself likable. She puts in the work, you know, taking care of herself to keep her position in a sense, which, I mean, that's her choice. People get upset about that, that it's precarious. It is precarious, but I think, like, it seems like they're not stupid. I think they know. I, I, I think a lot, some of the like moral judgments come from people thinking, oh, they don't know. Like they could get broken up with at any time. I'm pretty sure they know that. And mm -hmm. obviously, if you have a job, you can get fired at any time. So I don't know. I think like it does just make you think about what is the goal here. You know, financial security is that the goal? Is status the goal? Is serving yourself? Is serving others the goal? I don't know. Yeah. And also notable, I mean, even though this was the, you did, this is the angle you decided to take, but there's so much scrutiny about what women are doing, but what guys are like, the guys are pretty absent in this. Uh, it doesn't seem to really matter. <laughs> like they're not, uh, the archetypes they're fitting into doesn't seem to matter as much. That's so It'll funny. Just, to say that. Yeah. Because yeah. in the stay home girlfriend videos, they are, completely absent <laughs> and I think I've seen a couple of videos where the women talk about oh he doesn't want to be in the videos but a lot of times it's just like that is not you know how she's presenting like what she's thinking about she's just 
going about her day and her financial situation is kind of like it's implicit yeah I just feel like the boyfriends were kind of ambient throughout it's kind of funny to think about them that way yeah and whether it's like a patriarchal corporate culture or the guy who's financing the lifestyle they're sort of in the background determining uh these notions of self-worth or social Mm -hmm. status class Mm -hmm. um, yeah in their ambience (laughs) i don't know um was there anything else you would have liked to get to in the piece that you might have not been able to i think that if i had like maybe if I had more time or more space, there was something I was kind of thinking about actually after the fact with things I saw on, I saw on Twitter, it, this was literally last week, a woman who was in law school said, being a stay-at-home girlfriend sounds like self-sabotage to me. Um, actually, this is a different one, but people, this, there's this, a, that was an author saying, sounds like self-sabotage. Another woman who was in law school was saying like, that sounds really dangerous. Like don't stay-at-home girlfriends know like they could be vulnerable to financial abuse. Which raises the question, um, does she want to protect herself through marriage? The idea that marriage is going to be protection from financial abuse is so absurd to me. And I think that if you're getting into a line of logic where you're advocating for women to get married to protect themselves, that doesn't sit right with me and doesn't uh, seem true either. So I think, you know, the fact that people are still, you know, talking about these women and the choices they're making and, you know, talking about their finances, everything like that. Like it really, it's kind of paternalistic attitude. And I just do wonder about what that says about um, our attitudes towards marriage and women, you know, moving up through marriage. I don't, I don't know that advocating for people to get married is like, To me, that's not, uh, I'm not like about it. So I don't know. (laughs) Well, I feel like most essays I read, you know, like they they may like allude to like a larger landscape that the reader can uh, dive into if they want to learn more. But this really struck me as something that could be the beginning of, um, I want to, I'd love to see more of this. Like, it seems like there's a lot more there. Um, And it was really cool that you published with us and, you were able to think through this with us. So appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I'm ha- so happy to have the space to do it here. And yeah, I'm definitely still thinking all about it. So who knows? <laughs> well, cool. Um, I think that's good then. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Carolyn. Yeah, thank you. Cool. And um, I'll, I'll email you soon about maybe joining me and some of our editors for a drink or something. That would be fabulous. I'd love to, yeah. All right. Well, take care. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. Producer A-Live of Cleveland's own Moomin Collective graciously provided the music we used for the intro, as well as the one you are listening to now. We publish reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts online at clereviewofbooks.com about three to four times per week. We recommend signing up for our bi-weekly newsletter, a link to which can be found in the show notes as we all adjust to a shifting social media environment. You can also purchase print issues and merch, including hats, totes, and shirts 
in our online store. I'd also like to shout out all of our amazing editors, including Zach Peckham, Bree Demanda, Robert Giddings, Alana Pakros, Angelo Maniage, Morgan Ford, Michael Credico, Helen Rauner, Jacob Brueggemann, Philip Harris, Ali Black, Isabel Blakeway Phillips, Eli Scope, and R.A. Washington. See you next time.